Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to another episode of the Italian American Podcast, your weekly dose of Italian American heritage, history, and hilarity. I'm John Viola, along with my partner in crime, the notorious POB, the Italian American Wikipedia himself, Mr. Patrick O'Boyle. And today and next week, you're going to get two parts to an episode that we did. You, uh, if you're longtime listeners, you know we're doing these things live and uncut now, which is awesome because no, they're a little cut. Yeah, they're clean. I mean, up. like yeah. some stuff we say, you're never going to hear. Yes, if we, yeah, if we fudge. But my point being, they're more the sort of free conversations. Well, we're back. People have said to me, we love the new format, but it's not a new format. It's the original format. It's the original format that had to go dormant because of COVID. Exactly, yeah. So, That's, so I hope everybody out there is Returning to our roots. Exactly. This is a, a dose of the power theme. hour that we uh, that we originally intended to do, and we're going to have a great conversation we just recorded with a friend of ours who you're going to meet in just a second, but uh, wanted to intro this half by first and foremost explaining that you're going to get two parts over the next weeks, but also a bit of a public service announcement because this episode is going to air... Thursday, the 28th of September, which is just about a week and a half before a momentous occasion, which is... My obituary headline. (laughs) The the top piece of your CV, obituary. Pat is this year's Man of the Year for the Jersey City Columbus Day Parade on October 7th. And we want to first and foremost invite everybody out there in our audience to come out to the parade and hang out. We have a wig. What is that wig? What do you call those things? A cart? A, what? a float. A float. float. A float in the we parade, We have a yes. float from a podcast float that yes. we have, and we want to invite everybody on. Yes, you can come, come on, overwhelm the parade, us. Hang out with Pat. Come in the parade. We'll hope maybe we'll get a little bit, get together afterwards. Yeah, we're going to do something afterwards. Yeah, we're right? going to do something afterwards. Come. You can meet other podcast listeners. Yep. And this is the stuff we should do. We should be seen. We should be proud. Yeah. God willing, we'll watch. It'll be a thunderstorm. Watch my <laughs> go in the ark. Yeah. But, um, Come anyway, because we will have a celebration. and Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and uh, I'm, of course, I'm playing a little brings with my said, wife. I don't want Nicole John to said go. She booked for the baby's second birthday party the same day because the petting zoo. I had to have the petting zoo. So the petting zoo couldn't reschedule. So I'm going to be in the morning at the birthday party, but then I'm going to come to Jersey City because we're going to do an event at night, right? We're, we're renting in the, in, out. The, in the post. In the post, uh, post hours. Post parade. The parade starts at Dickinson High School. Some people come in, what do you call those things? Like before a football game? Tailgate? Tailgate. Yeah. Some people tailgate at 11. The parade kickoff is at 1. So we will have the float. So come to Jersey Columbus Day Parade. It's a freebie event. If you don't have any money, if the the economy's rough. Yeah. And I have to thank my cousin-in-law, Anna DiPaola. Had it not been for her, I would not be the honoree. My mother's never impressed with anything. This right. is there, impressive. There's not. This is the first time in my entire. I don't think my law school, law school nothing impressed my mother. This is the first time, <laughs> because even her email is Jersey City in it, right? Yeah. So it's a great event. It means a lot to me, yeah. right? It means a, the world to me, and I want to thank Anna and my friend Janet Balzi. I went to law school with Janetina Balzi. The two of them made this happen. I didn't ask for it, but they gave it to me, and I'm very moved because I'm going to be on a float going down a, a street. That I lived on as a kid, as a small child, that my mother lived on, that my grandmother lived on, that my great-grandmother lived on. It goes back, and my roots run deep in a very small piece of the world. Even my father came from Ireland, he went to Jersey City. So, you know, and North Arlington is Jersey City uptown. So it means a lot to me, and I think that um, for the people who've passed in my ancestry, my my grandparents and the like, I, I know it would mean the world to them. 
So we're going to have a good time. I'm sorry I'm going to miss it, but I definitely encourage everybody out there to be there. I know Nicole was crying. She felt terrible. Oh, right? yeah, I know, you know. She was like, oh, Pat, right, we couldn't do this. <laughs> but everybody's going to be Your out. Your father-in-law would have moved the party. Yeah, he definitely would have. He would have made sure we were there. But Your father-in-law would have come. Your yeah, father-in-law was a lot of fun. He I say all the time, you hit the lottery. For avocado. I mean, yeah, everybody wants come. to come for avocado, and I'm going to be there for But the- not Nicole. No. But not Nicole. Nicole's got very one-track mind. You know she loves to plan a party. So this will be, uh, I'll be there in the evening, and hopefully everybody will come out and and I want, and I, again, I want to thank everybody in Jersey City, and especially Anna and Janet. I want to thank them very much, and for all my friends there for making this happen. It's very much appreciated. October seventh, I will be there to see you at night. The man of the year will be there all day, and uh, hopefully, you come out and meet. So, right now, you're going to get the first half of this wonderful episode with our friend Brandon Ficara, and uh, we'll come back to you next week. That you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Ciao, Paisani, and greetings from New Jersey, the great garden state. This is the Italian-American Podcast, and I am your host, John Viola. We are once again live, uncut, and in person. We are in our temporary offices right now because as of yesterday... Not yesterday, the day before. I think Monday, whatever this is. This will air Thursday. Uh, we broke ground on the new studios in Little Italy. So I'm here with how my partner we in crime. Well? We didn't actually do a physical. Well, how come she's not here? I forgot. You've got to tell Ro? I forgot to tell Ro, yeah. I've been I sick. knew that. I've been sick. I knew Italy and kicked Ro, my and butt. Ro, and Ro always brings cookies. <laughs> That's very true. No cookies. I know. I'm going to get a big apology to Ro. She'll, uh, hopefully she won't mind having saved the first... Journey out to be here, but this is what we're going to record will. for now. If she won't tell you, she'll tell me. I know. But she brings a nice neutral cookies. They were very good. She did. She did a good thing. She came out and we recorded there. And that was the last we'll be there for a while because as of today, the walls are going up. I mean, I was there Monday to kick off and uh, everything is moving. And actually, I don't want to say it anything promissory. Spoot to spoot. Yeah, they say it should be quicker than I thought. So. With the, with the Maloy Canal. You I know, just, you never know. That'll be years from now. <laughs> it's going to be, yeah, it's true. No, <laughs> listen. 2027. I, I, I listen, I, I don't throw out compliments freely because when I do, I want them to have value. Yeah. Right? And I got to really say, John blew me away because when I was there, I saw the benefit of the foot traffic. Yeah. yeah There's it's a mental be. benefit that we are in. We're on Plymouth Rock. Of Italian America, we could paint. Can you paint a Plymouth Rock green, white, and red? Absolutely, we can. Yeah. That's I and I got it now. But yeah. I don't know. No, now we were there during feast time, so there was a lot of people. Do they have? Do you think they're going to have the same kind of foot traffic? So it's interesting. I went down Monday. It was you know the feast ended on Sunday, but it was uh, pretty bad rain. Obviously, we've had this hurricane or whatever. It's a tropical storm up here, so the last two days of entertainments and stuff got canceled, right? Yeah, it did rain because we were down there for the um, the karaoke night. And it started then. Yeah, it started mm-hmm. raining while we were there. And so I went down Monday morning. They were breaking down the feast. And I met up with the contractors and Sal, who runs all the projects and stuff like that, and Nick and all these guys. And we said, oh, let's get a cup of coffee. So we went around the corner to Ferrara's. And, of course, we walked into Ferrara's on the back end of a massive group of Italian tourists who were on an official tour. There might have, must have been maybe 60 of them. Probably criticizing us at the <laughs> Probably Razo. saying how terrible it was. But they were online, so we had to wait for them to finish their orders. <laughs> but they were there, and it's not unusual. You know, tour groups, tour groups from Italy, 
a lot of Italian students we see there. So, yeah, I think it's pretty – I mean, you know, there's downtime in the winter for sure. It's going to be quiet. During I mean, we go off, we're, we're New York people. Yeah, it's you know, in our it's mind. It, so we are. It's it's in the DNA, I think. And it's fun. I mean, this, I mean, the city's not as fun now as it was a couple of years ago. Nope. So it has not recovered. No. But it's still better than a lot of other places. Yeah, it is still better than a lot of other places. And speaking of this idea of being New York people, we're joined by another New Jersey native who's a friend of ours, and uh, he's from the other part of New he's Jersey the Philly in people. the Philly market. That's them. And, yeah. that, and we love them. And we do. We love but them. But they're a different country. Yes, it is. It's the accent that, changes. The yeah. food changes. The teams they root for changes. And for a guy like me who comes from Brooklyn but lived in Jersey during my childhood, other than a few trips to Atlantic City, I never got to really explore or experience South Jersey. So it's really foreign to me. Like, it, it, Jersey to me is just sort of the, the head of that sitting man bust, and then everything else is, is very removed. We're a country with a, we're like Czechoslovakia. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We're two right. people that we just got stuck on the same country. <laughs> we're really different people. Yeah. We don't, we're not different enough that we can't live in the same country. <laughs> yes. But we really are two separate people. Yeah. So I'm very happy to have him come up, and I'm really thankful that he came up. Brandon Ficara is not only our friend, but a guy with an amazing resume of experience, everything from stand-up comedy to TV and movies. And uh, he came up not, from the wilderness to see us. Yeah, he did. He really The came. wilderness of South Jersey with animals and deers and... All the way in that Philly market. All the way in that Philly market. I'm so imp- I feel honored he came up here to see us. I do too. I'm really happy to get to spend time together. We've gotten to know each other pretty well over the past year or so. And uh, so, Brandon, welcome to the Italian American Podcast. Thanks for coming and hanging out with us. Thanks so much. Yeah, I had to machete my way through uh, <laughs> through the jungle, the wilderness, the pine barrens of, of, of Cape May County. You could have brought us a blueberries. There, that's the blueberry cranberry capital of the universe. Well, cranberries. Isn't that in... Uh... No, they make some down there. Massachusetts is yeah, like a big cranberry. Yeah, New England is like the cranberry. But blueberries is, is, blueberries South, is Jersey. South Jersey. Is that right? We should have had and you Jersey on in June. And yeah. yeah, but I think the, uh, the that area around Hamilton, that's the blueberry capital. Yeah, yeah. I would have liked those blueberries. So we invite oh. you on an off season. I it, wasn't on, it wasn't on the way. <laughs> Jersey makes the world takes. Don't they say that? Or Trenton, well, Trenton says. Trenton makes and the world takes and yeah. Jersey takes from everybody. <laughs> Most of- importantly, its own citizens, its own residents. <laughs> yeah, it is a great place to be. I, I, I don't mind coming out here while we're waiting for the studio because I, the older I get, you know, I went back to Brooklyn after high school and stood there for 20 years. And then we moved to the suburbs. And I love Westchester. It's great. A lot of Italians. But every time I go out into Westchester, I don't know why. I have this feeling that like this, it's it's still different than my New Jersey suburban upbringing. There's something very specific about coming here, and I enjoy it. Like when we went to Rutherford to play bocce and have pizza and stuff like that. There's something about Cafe Rome was across the street. I mean, was they were on vacation? Yeah, but I mean that would have been a great setup. You have the bocce courts across the street from Cafe Roma. Yeah, Jersey's just got. I mean, something. What more could you ask? They they used to be a bread bakery next door. Yeah. There's a bombonietta within within a, a Pauline shot. You could throw a Pauline <laughs> to a bombonietta store. Yeah, it's true. Really, the first Neapolitan brick oven style pizza, Cafe Capri, which is next door. There's a lot to offer. I don't it's know. Jer- Jersey. Cafe Monte San Giacomo's around the corner. I like it here. I do. I don't mind. Wow. I do. Whoa! I like it. Yeah. I ran out. Did you I ran say away that? from it. But yeah. <laughs> I'm going to. Oh, Maybe it's your oh, version of Jersey that I really like. I'm going to die. I you in, said that? Yeah. You spent a lifetime Hating disassociating yeah. with this place. I well, I think because I grew up in such oh, an Irish place. Oh, I got it. You're going to kill me now. There was no this Italians in end. my town. You grew up in what town, Brandon? I grew up in Ocean City. Oh, you grew up in Ocean Very City. Very Italian. Yeah, you were telling me about that before. 
what's life like down there for the Italian community? Well, so uh, Ocean City is is a dry town, first of all. Really? Which, which is uh, interesting. Um, Meaning no alcohol sold. No alcohol sold. No bars? No bars, no restaurants. I mean, there's restaurants, but no, no um, wow. bring your own or service. Really? You can't. You can drink in your house. That's it. Wow, that's weird. Yeah. Gay Talese is from Ocean City. Okay. The New York Times. Former, he was the editor of the New York Times, wasn't he? I don't think he was the editor, but he was one of their top. Writers. He was pretty far up the yeah. He path, was a big packing deal. chain. Yeah, he's, a, he's like and he wrote something. Now. He wrote one of the definitive Italian American books, Unto the Sons. Huh. Yeah. And he was his father was the tailor in Ocean. I thought they'd have like a Gay Talese Street or a, some kind of you know. Are you sure? Yeah. Ocean City. Oh, he's from Ocean City, one hundred percent. You got to read his book. That. You should really, as an Ocean City person. Yes. Because he writes about his childhood. During World War Two, okay, in Ocean my, City. So my uncles, my one, um, great great uncles, obviously. I'm very young and handsome. You can't see me uh, on this podcast. These guys will vouch for that. Yes, of course. Um, but my great uncle died in the the uh, Battle of the Bulge, I believe. Wow. Oh wow. Um, like 21 years old and whatever that was. 44. Yeah, 43, 44, something like that. Um, but all of my uncles from Ocean City, or great uncles, served. Served in World War II. Um, yeah, they have a nice little memorial park there right by the Tabernacle. That's nice. Right outside of Ocean City High School. But it's an amazing place. It's an island. So you're on like a, a barrier island. Um, and so uh, growing up there, I know uh, Pat and I are the exact same age. Uh, and me, John, you're a couple years younger. Um, He's but just a kid. Yeah. We literally, it was, you, rode, you could ride your bike from anywhere in the island. So you were the self-contained, independent childhood it's about now the population is larger in the winter, but it used to be in the winter it would clear out. There was like maybe ten thousand people in town that would balloon up to like one hundred and fifty thousand, wow. two hundred thousand in the summer. So then you had blocks and blocks of rental properties that just became places where young kids could cause trouble. Wow, uh, which was a lot of uh, you know uh, we we had options. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. If you were a vandal in the nineteen eighties <laughs> in Ocean City. You would get tired before you ran out of things to vandalize. <laughs> That's really wild. I, I had no idea. First, I didn't know it was an island. And secondly, I had no idea it had such a healthy Italian population. Huge. Yeah, is, yeah. is there a lot left down there of Italian stuff? A good amount, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, uh, the fam- I have a family home there that they've had in the family for over 100 years. And on that block, it used to be like a, a family block. They had, like, their cousins at a place. Yeah. And my great-grandfather had, like, you know, three or four different lots. One was just a farm, like a farm. You yeah, know, yeah. imagine a little, you know, lot yeah, an empty lot. That, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, but no, there's a huge Italian American history in in, uh, in Ocean City. That's we got to go did explore you, that. Did you? Did your family go to Philly first? They must have. So, no, part of it. Yeah. So I have family in Philadelphia as well. Yeah, um, every every all, all the, the Ocean City Italians that, will go back to Philly. Uh, the great grandparents who ended up in Ocean City came, so I don't know where they came in through, but they came specifically to go to Ocean City. There was already people there. Wow. Yeah, they had so it, it was yeah, a straight that shot. Sense, and that was I, already a colony. Yeah, my great grandma people were the found, founding fathers of. Makes that. sense. Yeah. It's not that far, right? Were they in the hospitality industry? That's not bad. Who's they? Your your family. My parents were in in gaming. Because um, that's a hospitality. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's a big. That's the name of the game down there. Yeah, but they were in a lot of stuff. Like you know, my uncle worked at the water company. You know, uh, 
Another uncle was a contractor. Um, so they did lots of stuff. But, uh, yeah, there's some hospitality sprinkled. I grew up, that was how we cut our teeth. Like, my first job was washing dishes on the Ocean City Boardwalk. Wow. You and must then, have had a lot of fun. A because we're the same age working that boardwalk. Because I would know Wildwood. The North Jersey people went to Wildwood. But Wild. Ocean City is like yards away. So you must have had a very good time on that boardwalk when everybody came in. So here's the thing. You hit your high school years, and all the kids from Ocean City High School get jobs on the boardwalk. So, like, you remember, like, in, in Goodfellas, like, you know, how when he's walking, t- took uh, Karen on the first date, and they're bringing the table over for him, and he's just getting, like, you know, walking through the kitchen, looking at the suits. Sure, yeah. It was like that. You didn't, you didn't have to ever reach for your wallet. Because everybody just, everything worked in barter. <laughs> so if you worked at the ice cream place, I worked at the movie theater, you want to see a movie, you come on in. Yeah. But when I go over there, I'm getting an ice cream. I'm getting going. the ice cream now, out of you. this would all be, you know, uh, all the owners of those businesses would be upset about that should any of them had paid in, in check and taken <laughs> out taxes. <laughs> you would literally, I'm 16 years old, getting an envelope with like 1300 bucks cash in it. Wow. And then, because we would work like 80 hours a week and... And you could just walk up down the boardwalk, whatever you wanted. You had a friend who worked there, and it was like, here's this. Okay, you want that? And, and it, was, it was this magical, magical childhood. It's a different world, really, if you think about it. The, first of all, think about young kids. I mean, I got my working papers at 14. I was up yep. here in no- northern New Jersey, and I remember my dad said to me, you know, you want to get a job? You know, I'll, I'll sign your papers, whatever. And I got a job on the weekends as a busboy at a local luncheonette that was owned by an Italian guy from another town. He came from Madison, which had more Italians. And uh, I just loved the guy, and I would go in at, like, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday and Sunday and do the newspapers. But I don't know. Maybe kids do that stuff now. I don't know. I don't have any teenage nah, kids. But I, it's, a it's just a different world. psychology. You know. There's, those jobs aren't, don't exist. You know, they don't in, exist, in, yeah. in defense, too, you know, everything has a camera today. Yes. So you would you would have ran over with ice cream cones for somebody, okay? Because you gave me like the, the fresh cut French fries, and somebody would have caught it on a camera. Yeah. And you would have been caught. You know, the camera world has taken all that kind of fun away. Yeah, it really has. Yeah. You- yeah. I think I understand. Like, I think for sure the cameras change things. I think that uh, we still would have done the same. Thing. <laughs> you, think, you think they're still 100%. paying kids with the envelopes full of cash? Uh, that's well, such a Jersey some, thing. Here's an yeah, envelope. No, no kidding. <laughs> but there's been there was a few pretty big lawsuits or, or uh, people who went to jail for tax evasion. So less and less, but it's a cash. The business. feds destroyed every happiness in life. <laughs> <laughs> they came in. Like how we had a thirty-one trillion dollar debt. Like how, all we wanted you no to do was no matter what you get, you keep spending anyway. You can't leave us alone. We just wanted you to pave our roads, <laughs> yes, have fire and, yeah, and police, and we didn't want to pay. That's all, they that's all we wanted. Yeah, it's true. Services for nothing. Yeah, that would be nice. What an ideal. No, but I mean, it's like it, it's not. It's like a see. I feel that giving you as a child an envelope, a large amount of cash, mm-hmm. should be exempted from interference by the feds, because that was like community money. That was like. Educating a child on how to build a community. You're right, and it's also I mean, it stays free in the community, ice cream right? Yeah, yeah, people are there. Sure. It is. And what do we true. do with all this money anyway? I don't know. I don't know where it I goes. Mean, well, I, I, New Jersey has third world roads, <laughs> right? And you you go other Not parts of the country. Jersey. You have roads better. South Jersey. Oh. We didn't have. How was it when they wanted Beautiful. to redo the Pulaski Skyway? We didn't. New Jersey didn't have the money. Yeah, I know. They they built the new giant stadium. They didn't have the money for a dome. Who are they kidding? In a, in a place where an average house has an $18,000 in property tax, where does this all go? It's a great question. 
It is. I and they got they got a shakedown at Kid for an ice cream cone. Really? <laughs> I was at Jersey. I was at the you know. Giant Stadium, MetLife Stadium, whatever it's called now. Not long ago, my dad, and my brother for the Jets, horrible first game of the season, and uh, my dad's looking out at the crowd, and he says, "I can't believe they built this without a dome because you know." They the, said the, they ran out of money. Yeah, they I did. mean, are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah, all these other stadiums have retractable roofs and stuff. It's it laughable, but it's they, absolutely they did spend laughable. eight gazillion dollars on that American Dream Mall. Sure, I've yet I've yet to go there. Since neither have I. Apparently, it's an Italian guy who got stuck with it now, who like kind of owns it or is. Uh, if you're it. living in a part of the world, I can say that now because we have listeners in Australia and Canada. Yeah. If you're living in a part of the world, a part of the country, you know the American Dream. I don't even know what I would. It's like a, it's like they, they New Jersey tried to put Disney World in a mall. Yes. It's the greatest boondoggle, I think, in the history of American to property no, development. No, it's in New Jersey. It's not a boondoggle really? yeah. for the people but who it, made money on no, it. But I, There's no. plenty of envelopes so, that they got, yes. so there are plenty of people who say, yeah. you know what, John? That was not a boondoggle. Yeah. That went just to plan. It was started right before the bust in 2008. It's got an indoor ski slope. It's got an indoor wave pool. It's got Ferris wheels. But it's like basically empty. Is it operational? I never heard of this. It's, oh, you never seen this thing? It's right next to Giant Stadium. You're from South Jersey. It's open. Thank you. I don't think it's full. So we do it's things y- that make yards, sense down there. It's yards from where we're taping, really. Yeah, it's, it's really quite geography. close. Like yeah. Why are we taping here in this little conference room and not? Uh, <laughs> we probably should. We should uh, be great. We probably on get, location probably on get on space the for a dollar a day or something like that. It's huge. It's the biggest mall. Outside. Only the Mall of America, I think, in the country. So they built a mall. Nobody saw. 2008, you said? I think they started. They started like 19. They've been doing this for 99, 2000. But by 2000, I mean, it was slow because it was Jersey. Nothing was working sure. right. And then 2008, the bottom just fell out of it. And they just kept pouring more money. Into yeah, it. I'm sure there are Jersey politicians who are retired now who were making on the books $50,000 a year. Yeah. Who were involved with that who probably have bazillion dollar houses somewhere in Florida. There was like a whole period. There was like a five year period where we were just sitting there rusting. And then they kind of went back in, and it's really bad. I mean, I, I, you know, if there's a some poor paisan holding the bag on this thing, I hate to disparage it. We haven't been. I haven't been. But from everything I understand, and it costs billions and billions of dollars. It's, it's not a not a great piece of pride for the northern New Jersey area. No. But So, uh, in summary, no dome. <laughs> no, no dome on the stadium. That's too bad. No, I know. It's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of a an embarrassment. But you... You left Jersey and went out to California to pursue a career in entertainment, right? That yes. was your. What drove you for that? Um, you know, I've uh, I always wanted to be a comedian since I was very, very young, um, which is an odd thing to want to be, I think, for in, in general. But my parents worked at the casino, so I had the benefit of going to the Sands and and seeing, you know, Billy Crystal, Jerry Seinfeld. Like I saw all these comedians as I was growing up. And um, it's the only thing I wanted to do. So I started wow. doing stand-up um, on the East Coast. And then once I realized I was uh, good at it, I, I went to the West Coast in like 2004 and spent 18 years out there. I did TV shows, a lot of stand-up. And then after the uh, the pandemic, I just decided, you know, uh, I, I kind of got away from acting. And when that happened, I didn't really need to be in Los Angeles anymore. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit off mic about because I always think of comedy. I had a roommate at Pat knows my buddy Cena, who's a podcaster, and he tried to get me to do podcasting. And that's a whole other episode in college. That's amazing. All I don't the know how, Cena, I don't know how he Cena and the Muldan episode, right? <laughs> so Cena was a stand-up in college and did a lot of stuff around the city. I used to be his roommate and his guest at a lot of like the Bringer shows and things like that. So I I always felt like I was sort of peripheral to this culture, which is its own really distinct culture. Stand-up comedy, right? Like, oh yeah, we talk a lot about being Italian American as being part of a tribe. Right there's these tribal rights. There's these sort of um, bellwethers and uh, symbols and 
languages and comedy is kind of its own tribe, right? Like people, it's very inward looking, it's reflective, and there's a great reverence for the history of it for people who are active in it. Sure. Do you, you know, you got to see all these greats, the Billy Crystals, Jerry Seinfelds, but, but we as Italian Americans have had some really interesting contributions to its history. Anybody stick out for you as an Italian American comic that was either influential or at least um, that you held high? Yeah, I mean, and then there's there's a lot, right? I feel like um, Italians uh, in the pecking order of of ethnic groups is high up, and in, in, you know we have a lot of comedians. But uh, one I got to, yeah, had the opportunity to see him live. Actually, tragic uh, story for his life, but Richard Jenny, to me, is one of the most underrated uh, stand-up comedians of all time. I think he was brilliantly funny. Um, passed away in 2007, yeah. unfortunately, had some uh, you know, uh, uh, at his own hand uh, due to schizophrenia and other things. Mm. But um, to me, Richard Jenny is is the the tops. I think some of the guys now doing it, you know, Sebastian Maniscalco is he does a really good job of capturing, you know, if not the Italian culture, like the Italian neuroses. Yeah, you know, I think it's 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 that kind of passion. You know, I think that uh, comedy works well. I feel like uh, just being funny. Let's take away, you know, the the idea of of uh, being a professional at it. But I think most Italian people I've met, on some level, desire a deep connection, and whether it's through food, whether it's through art, whether it's through argument, yeah, you know, uh, guilt. You know. <laughs> um, but uh, comedy is a way to connect on that deeper level. You know, I've often told people like, you know, if if you make somebody laugh. They'll like you mm-hmm. if you laugh at somebody else's humor. They'll love you. Yeah, right. And so it's that kind of connection. Um, so I think Italians always look for ways to make deeper connections, and that's why it's it's a humorous group. You know, whether it's you know busting chops or, or it's it's um, just being funny. And you know, it's it usually seems like a teasing. Yeah, when it's in the family and in yes. the community. Like, yeah, you know, our family it was like if you're not willing to laugh at yourself. You know, don't worry. We'll laugh. <laughs> I, I know that from my family. It is interesting you use the word busting, the phrase busting chops, because I always look to put a label on that kind of, it's not sarcasm, right? And it's, it's. I think it's a big part of our culture, that sort of gentle teasing, very, busting chops, yeah, is a great way to, to put it. And that's something that I grew up with. That was, I could, you know, my dad and his friends or my uncles and aunts and the, the adults of my family, it was this great teasing. It was never mean, but it was just busting chops. Oh, no? <laughs> and it was like, if, no. It was, if it was mean, I didn't pick up on it. But, it, I mean, mean was mean. We had mean, certainly, streaks. But, uh, yeah, this idea that you, there was something very funny. Humor was a big part of our Sunday macaroni of our family events of you know just that sort of gentle teasing of each other and yeah it, it was a big part of how we communicated with each other yeah a different haircut you know a different like you, there was no like if you took any sort of fashion yeah chance yeah sunday dinner like there was, no, <laughs> there was a zero percent chance it wasn't going to be a dress <laughs> yeah no everything got brought out into the open i think that's a big deal i remember the camo when i was like probably 10 12 years old and it was like, you know, camouflage, like, you know, go to the Army Navy and get camouflage pants. So I'm wearing camouflage pants and camouflage T-shirt. And I'm playing, like, street hockey with my friends in Ocean City. And my dad happens to be driving by and pulls up. And it's like the last thing. When you're 10, like, yeah. you don't want pet nicknames. You don't want anything, <laughs> right? Uh, 
rolls down his window and goes, hey, salad guy, come here. <laughs> it's like, here I am thinking, seeing myself as, as Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando. <laughs> of course. And he reduced it to salad guy. And it was just like, I'm good that well, I what? <laughs> I hope that doesn't stay with you. Salad guys, I hope you it's shed still, that one quick. Well, it's still with me in here. <laughs> of course. Uh, I got to ask you a question. In your yeah. L.A. days, mm-hmm. Did you ever feel you were different from the crowd because you were an Italian from New Jersey? Did you ever culturally feel I think differently or I see things differently? You know, uh, I didn't feel isolated because there is a decent amount of, of uh, Italian comics. So, because there's like a connectivity we all have here at the table. Yeah, if we were here eating, we could be here for twelve hours because we get each other, right? And John, I've said there's other people we sit down with who don't have that wavelength. Did you ever feel uh, being outside of that there was a, a different connected? I don't know. I don't know if I'm, but you get well, it. I don't know how to articulate. Yeah, it. yeah. So I, I think that you know we connect on different levels, right? Like so, the the way that we have like a shared you know history through age and and culture, right? If I was in a room with two people who had my you know shared a love of Philadelphia sports, which I don't have at this table, <laughs> no. um. Then I would have that commonality, yeah. whether they're Irish and German or whatever. So I think that when you are in that world, and it is very kind of, um, it's a closed shop with comedians. You know, they kind of we kind of huddle together. So when you're with other comedians, there's that bond. But when you're with now, I've done shows that are Italian American, you know, lineups, and I, we did a thing, the Meatballs of Comedy, um, for like you know every week. So that was different. It was like you had like a double bond. What was that like? Um. It was it was awesome. I mean, there's some great Italian American comedians, uh, Vinnie Coppola, Tommy Tallarino, like these guys, and so it was like this where we'd sit around and chop it up with that shared history. Yeah, you know when they're talking about their upbringing or their families, like you know exactly what they're. You know, it's a shared culture. So, but then when you're talking comedy and you're talking about the nuts and bolts of comedy or the reaction of what's going on. You know, everybody's got that, too. So it's uh, it was really neat. It felt very comfortable. Was that a show, The Meatballs of Comedy, was that a show you were doing live as, like, a stand-up tour? Well, tours in L.A. Um, yeah, we're touring uh, Italian restaurants and pizza. <laughs> were, you get, were you getting a lot of Italians in the audience? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've actually met Henry Hill. Did you really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right before he died. Like maybe really? Like six, eight months before he died. I got a picture. That's what the guy was that, that like? was Ray Liotta portrayed um, in Goodfellas, for those who Exactly right, yeah. yeah. Henry Hill from, uh, from Goodfellas, the Wise Guys book. What was it like? Uh, it was a little intimidating, but I, I've met a lot of, you know, uh, connected folks. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in entertainment, I don't yeah, know how to course, say it yeah. <laughs> otherwise. People who probably would have known Henry <laughs> yeah. Hill. Um, and colleagues and associates. Um, but uh, he was different. Now, that guy, like, so, you know, they show it in the movie, right? Some substance abuse and things like that. Yeah. This guy was affected. Yeah. Like, he had some problems. Yeah. Um, so he was not nice. You know, we took a picture. He was fine, but he was belligerent and wow. drunk. And, like, wow. it, was, it was hard to do the show. Like, he was – it wasn't pleasant. I didn't enjoy wow. – it's more of a neat – it's a neat yeah. picture to show people. But I remember at the time thinking, like, you know, uh, I don't love this guy. I think about my that reminds me of my picture with DiMaggio, who I will never say a bad word about, but I he was a hero of my family. You have a picture with Dom DiMaggio? <laughs> no, Joe. Joe. The, oh, the, the, that's his brother, the, right? The, the, <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. Well, that's cool, too. The, the other DiMaggio. I never met Dom, actually. Uh, I Yeah, I got a picture with him when I was a kid at an event 
my dad did for the Yankees. The Yankees won the first Subway Series uh, regular season. No, the the regular season interleague played ninety seven oh. when they they won the you know best of whatever they played. Sure. And he was the guest of honor, and he was like hiding in the, another room, windows on the world in the Trade Center. And uh, I went with my uncle, who was a big baseball fanatic and sports collector, and we snuck into the room, and there he was with his lawyer at a table by himself. And I said, yeah, Mr. DiMaggio, my grandfather came from Italy, and even though he was from Brooklyn, he became a Yankee fan because of you. My grandfather was at the tail end of his life. He was very sick. He said, I, I would love nothing more than to take a picture to him. And I had the disposable camera, and he looked up, and he didn't say anything. He just, like, you know, put his arm, kind of t- turned towards the camera with me, and let me take this picture. I was like, I still could see it in my head. I'm, I'm giddy like a schoolgirl with this big grin. And my uncle, like 6'5", then DiMaggio turns back around. He says, Mr. DiMaggio, can I take a picture? And he turned to him and he said, I took my picture with the boy. We had our fun. Let's just leave it at that. And I thought to myself, <laughs> this is like, you know, there is a certain surly side to who we are that, like, maybe you shouldn't meet your heroes, you know. Well, in 97, he must have been. He was only a year away from his passing. Yeah, so yeah. he was an old man. Yeah, he so was. So you kind of make a little exception for that, too. I have, I don't even know if I can tell this on the air, and I'm not going to, uh, it's, I, I worked at Yankee Stadium for a year in 2000 when we beat the Mets in the Subway Series. And someone that I know and trust who worked there for many, many years told me when DiMaggio last appeared at the stadium, and I don't remember what year it was because he died in 98, he was mad about something. And, uh, you know, when the Yankees used to walk to the dugout, there was a sign. It was famous because Derek Judy used to tap it for good luck every time he went out to a game. That uh, Quoting DiMaggio said, I want to thank the good Lord for making me a Yankee, Joe DiMaggio. And that was there until the day they knocked down Yankee Stadium. And this guy told me the last thing Joe DiMaggio said when he left stadium because somebody agitated him I hope this place burns to the ground <laughs> I thought to myself that's very Sicilian <laughs> like you know I think you should oh, keep that in I'm gonna keep it I in. I hope yeah. that does not yeah. get on the cutting room floor. no no I'll keep it in you know what that's a great not cutting anymore it's like when we found out about how the uh, prince what was it the medallia d'oro yeah the, no, prince spaghetti prince we, got, spaghetti. we gotta redo that episode because the audio got destroyed oh really yeah we don't have the audio you got something now for Yankee historians yeah, yeah I, I, there's I, a Yankee historian one day that will quote the Italian American podcast <laughs> that's absolutely right I'm not gonna give the source till they they tell me, but it's an Italian person as well, so it's Italian-American source. But yeah, DiMaggio, uh, you know, sometimes you meet your heroes. It's not not exactly ideal. But yeah, I, I find it interesting to think that you were doing shows out there, you know, with other Italian-American comedians for primarily an Italian-American audience because I think back in the history of a- any kind of entertainment, right? I've been doing this a lot lately. Like, I've been researching our portrayals. And if you can go back to the... 1940s and 50s and like radio shows like Life with Luigi was a radio show that became a TV show and it was a non-Italian American portraying a very stereotypical Italian you know in a, in a, in a nice enough way he was a good citizen and whatever um, I think to me at the heart of any comedy whether it's stand-up or not is Abbott and Costello and Lou Costello never really played his Italianness, but his brother-in-law whose name I'm going to forget portrayed Mr. Bacigalou Dominic Costello <laughs> you know, you just throw was that his brother? That was his brother-in-law. That was his was wife, his, his sister's husband or something like that, yeah. And he played Mr. Bacigalup with the heavy accent on the bakery, whatever. And I think about, you know, those portrayals. And then you think to, like, the 60s and 70s when you get, particularly a stand-up is exploding, and you get a guy like Pat Cooper, right, whose real name was Pasquale Caputo. Caputo. Uh, did you ever watch Pat Cooper? Um, yeah. No, nothing like, uh, you know, religiously. No, no. I met him in person. You did? Yeah, I, on two occasions. Another famously um, not 
particularly nice guy, actually. He was a very listen. I'm not going to stand here and say I'm an expert on Pat yeah. Cooper. No, I should say I met him at two periods in my life. With the Villa Roma, right? My my Italian childhood was taking bus trips with Holy Rosary in Jersey City to the Villa Roma, the last Italian, the last Italian Bocce Italian, Belt Resort, the last Italian Bocce Belt Resort, and the big weekend was Labor Day weekend, the close of summer. So they would always get a singer or a comedian who had national recognition, like a Jerry Vale type person or a Pat Cooper. And I was there. Uh, it had to be the 85, 80, not even, 84, 83. And my grandparents had all the Pat Cooper um, records. Sure. Right? They had the albums. And so that weekend, they brought me to meet Pat Cooper at the performance at Villa Roma. Right? So we're staying there, and he performs at nightclub, and I meet Pat Cooper. He was very nice to me, very nice to me. And my aunts are taking pictures, like, you know. And then I met him later in life, as in I was in, the, I was in my 30s, um, because someone I knew had hired him to do promotional work. So I met him in a, in a hotel, I guess it was the lobby of his building, maybe, a hotel lobby in Manhattan on like a Sunday night at 8 o'clock. It was raining outside. He was a very tall guy. But what you saw on air was what he was like in person. He was a chop breaker. Very high-strung, and uh, almost like nervous almost. Very high-strung guy. Very, very high-strung guy. Um, so laid back like you. No, he was <laughs> going with the flow nice you want to? You want You want to? Um, I think a lot of my mental illnesses come from my mother's side. <laughs> my mother says you're crazy, like the Ladaros. That's her her mother's side, and my mother thinks they were all high strung. And um, Pat Cooper is always identified because his father was from Molody Body, um, where Roe was from, right? Yeah. But his mother, I think, was a Gargiulo, and that's a Sorrento name. Oh, is that right? Yes, and my mother thinks the Sorrento side is where all the high strong. Oh, she goes, she goes through all my cousins on my mother's side. (laughs) You're all crazy, but he was a high strong. So the guy that hired him to do promotional work, because at that time he was big on Stern, right? So the alcohol, there was someone in the alcohol industry who hires him to promote an alcohol brand, thinking that he'll be able to get it on Stern because of the affiliation that they had had. And I think they were visiting liquor stores. They were going from store to store and like to sign product or whatever, however the promotion worked. And he just said at one point, I've had enough. I'm done. Yeah. This is more work than I kind of envisioned. That was it. But yeah. He was high, strong, very, uh, yeah. But that's. There's a certain lightness and darkness to our character. As, as you know, we, we talk a lot about the Neapolitan Sicilian difference and like starkness. And there is that sort of like. We've had our fun here. You know, DiMaggio's quote stays with me. Let's just leave there it is, that. There is a, a theory online, um, a real academic theory, that the, the term bada-bing was invented by Pat Cooper during his shows. Really? And, you know, you think the bada-bing reaches its pinnacle in The Sopranos, where the, the strip club is named bada-bing. But the fact that they said that was in New York, in the New York Italian-American, New York metropolitan Italian-American parlance, was that was picked up from a Pat Cooper Routine, because bada he bing, was bada bang, or whatever. Was, he was, I mean, he was everywhere. I, I like, I keep coming back to this idea that you're doing meatballs of comedy with Italian audiences in the early 2000s, right? Mid, early to mid 2000s. Um, yeah, like the early, like probably two thousand. The meatballs I started doing that's probably like 2011, 2013. And like people there. are still coming out. And when, when he was when he was around, you had guys like Luke Carey and a lot of other Italian. Well, Luke Carey, I think the difference with Luke Carey as a comedian is. Lou Carey was a very ethnic comedian. Yeah. Right? And he was very much identified 
as Italian American ethnic and also in New York. Right. He's very. I, I don't. I've never heard of Lou Carey playing outside of New York. Enough. I mean, he might have. He. I guess he was big in the seventies. Yeah. Right. But it was a very ethnic humor. Yeah. You know, John. And John collects everything in Italian America. John has comedy albums. Yes. Which were New York produced local comedy albums, which have a lot of neat, so that's it's the it's you can see it's geared for the first generation American born. The crowd that's born, my grandparents' generation, right before and right after World War II. They're the generation who grew up speaking Italian at home with their parents who had very limited English. And New York predominates with Neapolitan, right? So these comedy albums would have a lot of Neapolitan words and Neapolitan comments thrown in, right? Especially words that were dirty, shall we say? Yeah. And that, that was thrown in. So they would say the dirty word in, in Neapolitan, the whole room would, would just kind of erupt. I've, though I've never heard any off-color comedy routine by Lou Carey, nevertheless, a lot of those people, the, the, in, the in-person show might be a little bit raunchy, and the album was much cleaner. Yeah. Um, but I think that Pat Cooper, like Dean Martin and the other ones, they were cross... I mean, Dean Martin much more so is a crossover star, but Pat Cooper, I think, from that generation was the closest that we had that crossed over into American comedy. Yeah, like American comedy. But what do you think about Ray Romano? Because he's probably the most predominant person that carries our banner. Yeah, I mean, what, what do I think of? Uh... I mean, in, in the sense, and I ask you as a, as a, in a clinical sense, as someone who observes, right? Sure. Because you're a master, right? You're a craftsman. You're a craftsman of comedy, right? You're at the point that you know the maestro status, right? Um, the council wouldn't make me a master. But <laughs> you know, the, they still the, would let me on the council, <laughs> which I'm still angry about. Do you the Star see, Wars reference because him and I are Star Wars nerds. I mean, because Sebastian Maniscalco is identifies as Italian yes. American. Ray Romano in his work, he doesn't hide that he's Italian American. He doesn't say I'm Ray Jones. Right. Right. You know, the mother. I often found that that my mother loved that show, and I don't not a TV. My parents watcher, love that show too. But I often found that the mother in that show, even though she wasn't Italian American, the actress. she did a very good. Yeah, the actress mm-hmm. whose name escapes me. She did a very good Doris job. Doris Roberts. Doris Roberts. Like, you know, like the, um, you know, the whole thing when, with the meatballs and the cranberries inside, the dry cranberries instead of the dry red. There's certain things that I said, this woman did a brilliant job channeling us. It was very well done. Yeah, very but, passive aggressive. Very passive aggressive. But how do, you, how, how do you as a comedian, as an expert in this field, see all this? How do you put this for, in for a For Ray cosmos? Romano? For I, Ray I mean, Romano. I think he's, I mean, he's been one of the more successful comedians let alone like there's places around the country where like he holds the record for fastest sellout really wow wildly successful stand-up yeah yeah yeah. um and then obviously look at things he did in in tv and film like so i think number one i think he's funny like i I think ray romano is an excellent uh, there's a reason why he's successful some people you scratch your head with him i think it's pretty obvious that he's a talented guy um i don't know him um i know some people who know you know uh, some people who know who have worked with him or whatever, and he seems like he's fine. But yeah, no, I think for for us as Italian Americans, I think he's a great example of you know the fact that you don't have to be, you know, uh, it's a me. Yeah, you know, you know, you don't have to. You don't have that's, to. That's 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 not us. That's a, theatrical. That's what, that's the thing why Ray Romano was so good because he didn't try to. Do a 1970s Pepto Bismol commercial. Exactly. Hey, you know, yeah. that's a nice, spicy meatball. You know, it wasn't. 
Yeah, I just think about favoring one son. Not that I, that's experience in my life, <laughs> right? One son is the god. The other son is the oh, I have another son. I'm not going to throw out any names, <laughs> right? There was a certain thing I said. This lady, she got. I don't know. Now I don't know because Ray Romano gave her a great. And I because I don't know how comedy works. It did he like direct her to be that good? Yeah, but there was certain. Question. But see, I like the one thing well. I think about about. His, I feel connected with his work is as, and I'm not into comedy clubs. That was never my thing. But I find like. So much comedy today is just raunchy. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, it's funny because we're going to make dirty jokes and sexual and it just goes way off. Where I think that something I find, the artistry of Ray Romano, it's, it's easy to make a, a, a dirty, quick joke, right? It takes real artistry to be able to transform your mother yeah. and your brother relationship into a network comedy show, yeah. you know? But I'm talking about, you're the expert in this. I'm talking about stuff I have No, really, it's a great you know, question. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... You know, I mean, once you get into a network show, obviously there's a lot of hands in it. You have the actress, you have the writers. Like, so Ray, I'm sure it's like you see most uh, when there's a stand up comedian like a Seinfeld or, or Ray Romano or the thousands of others, King of Queens, it'll have something like where it's based on their act, right? right. But then once that happens, so whatever they wrote for their stand up, eventually writers and showrunners and network executives all get a hold of it and it kind of gets, you know. So I'm sure Ray, since it, you know uh, he was a titular character, I'm sure he had some say, but I don't know that he's pulling the strings to make that come across the way it did. But to further your point, you know, there's some comedians. Some comedians are squeaky clean, and they're really funny. Some comedians are squeaky clean, and they're like you know appropriate for corporate gigs mm-hmm. and other things. But you know, most people, you're never gonna hurt yourself laughing at them, right? Yeah. Some people are filthy, and they do it for the shock, and it's just the, the F-bombs and everything else are what they're doing for to get the reaction, and you roll your eye if you have, if you have more than three or four brain cells rolling around your head. <laughs> and some people are filthy, and they're hysterical, and it's like, to me, it's, you know, words are like paint, and, you, you know, some people don't paint in blue. Right. Some people paint in only shades of blue. Right. Um, but that's not going to dictate whether or not the art is good. You know, for me. So I, I, I don't love the argument of like, you know, well, well if it's clean takes real talent. Yeah. But if you're dirty, anybody can do that. Because, yeah, anybody can do clean or dirty and be mediocre. Right. But you can be masterful at either. Right. Um, and I kind of, I'm, you know, somewhere on that line. The way I look at it is like, you want to be yourself. And some communities will say, well, I can't, I can't be clean because that's not who I am authentically. It's like, so you've never gone to your grandmother's house? You've never gone somewhere where you had to act right? Right. And just been a, an organic, normal human being yeah. with the slight governors of the company you're keeping. <laughs> right, exactly, right? yeah. So I, I don't buy that either. Like, I think that you can be 100% yourself, but if I'm doing something, uh, you know, I did an Orthodox Jewish uh, function uh, as a gig, and the TV is, network television is way too dirty for, like, the standards of what I, so it was the most restrictive that's the most restrictive situation I ever had. And we had a great show. And it was very funny and it was very fun. But how do you pull that off? Because, I mean, how do you, like, I'm, I'm, like, blown away by that. Because, like, how, like, because, and I, I may, I may ask because I want to learn, right? That's why sure. I'm saying, like, you have people that, it's, like, when you, when you crack jokes to people on the same page as you, you get it, right? right. You know the same people. But not being Orthodox Jewish, right? How do you. Because their lifestyles are so different. It's like you could do like a mother-in-law. You know what I mean? And they have mother-in-laws too, but it's a different dynamic. How do you make that work? Well, first thing I did was I took my like 
you know, total of like three hours of stand-up comedy material I have all in, and I whittled it down to about 20 minutes of things I could use. Yeah. Um, but then I, and I do a lot of crowd work in my shows, so that helps me, right? So, you know, I can kind of ask questions, and I'm talking, I know they have a lot of kids, you know, that's like, a, you know, I knew the culture well enough to be able to talk to them about it, and I'm respectful enough to not offend them even when I'm bringing, you know, humor to it. But I don't think it's, there's nuances, there's things about Italian-American culture that's very specific for Italian-Americans, but having met enough, you know, whether it's Latinos or Armenians or, like, there's so many cultures. Jewish culture is, like, you know, it's, it's everybody's got a mom who wishes they made different decisions. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. Everybody uh, has, you know, people in the family who can cook a feast that will make you never want to have another meal, you know, because it's the most delicious thing ever. And it's, you know, we all, everybody has siblings where one's, you know, super ambitious and the other one's an asshole. <laughs> right. So it's not, it's not so much different. One of the things I, um, I see with, um, you know, with the Italian-American culture, the reason, like, if you look at Italy, like, that was never, like, a whole country for most of the history, right? Yeah. So it's always been kind of a melting pot over there. Yeah. With, as I said before, this strong desire to connect. Yeah. So one thing I worry about, and it's not a huge concern, it's not keeping me up at night, but I worry about... In America, when we, whenever we identify as anything, it can put up kind of a barrier around it, right? Yeah. So if I say I'm an Italian-American, I'm a comedian, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm legally blind, I'm a disabled comic, it, it puts me into a group, right? Yeah. And I worry that sometimes that the thing that Italians do best is they connect. Yes. And so when you uh, – it's good to have them all connect together because we have this shared history, but I also would love to see that or, or do love to see – when that's focused outward, yeah. because I think that it's great to connect with all of these other cultures and find those common, yeah. you know, that, that common ground. I think it's okay to, you know, to share cultures and to joke yeah. with each other within different cultures and without. That's a big thing for me about, like, what draws me into this career and examining this community over and over and really what drew me to doing this show when we first came on, which is the idea that, like, I do think we're really good at being humans as a culture, and I think that we're, we're good connectors. We value food, family, uh, simplicity, togetherness, and I think that it's attractive to other people. And I think we have a lot to offer from examining our own experience, really as a window into the greater American experience and a global experience, because we are diasporic people who are around the world in different places. We are people who come from a country that really never psychologically unified, let alone p politically only 150 years ago. So we've got all these interesting experiences to share, and I think it's a great service we can provide to say, like, look at this Petri dish that we are, and to learn about yourself or learn about all of us as a, as a national community. And it's a big thing that drives me here. But it's interesting that you, you talk about that because one of the things that I keep coming back to around comedy for any stripes these days is sensitivity out there. And it's, it seems like it's becoming harder and harder and harder to kind of discern the line between where we can laugh at ourselves or any group can laugh at themselves and what's offensive or uh, incorrect or whatever. It's obvious that the comedy industry is experiencing that, right? I mean, this is like, it's a like hypersensitive time. Wow, yeah. I mean, the pendulum has swung, you know, if you listen to any comedy special from the 80s or 90s and had to like red pen it for what would be acceptable you know, what, and when I say what would be acceptable, like what Netflix would let you get away with, yeah. um, you know, 
it would be it's it's drastically different. Yeah. Um, and I think some of that's good. I think that it's one of those things where that pendulum swings, that sensitivity pendulum. I think it swings, you know, especially in 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 specific categories or, or groups where people have been put upon for a long time. And it's no longer funny to them. Yeah. Right? Because it's not, it's obviously not a joke because it, it comes with all these other things. Right. So I think that that sensitivity builds up. But I think, it, like pendulums always do, they always swing a little too far. Yeah. Uh, so my feeling is I'm a big fan of intent. I think that for me to injure you with comedy, it would have to be that my intention was to get a laugh out of injuring you. Yeah. Right? But if I'm bringing light to things, and when you do crowd work, I'm teasing the crowd. You know, somebody says, in Los Angeles, they say they're an actor. I'm making jokes about them being broke or whatever right. else. It's all in good nature, and I've certainly offended people. But you also have to care if you offend people. Yeah. You know, I think that what we're finding now is that unless you broke a law, you only get canceled if you allow it to be. Yeah. You know, I feel like Bill Burr is a guy who's kind of proven that where he says things that, you know, other people would probably get in trouble for, but he doesn't care. So if you don't care, there's nothing to grab onto. Mm-hmm. But I'm a huge First Amendment guy as a comedian. I think that if you start censoring comedians, societal breakdown is not far away. Yeah. You know, I think that comedians um, are not just a catharsis for a society, but they're also um, a place of, of pure honesty, mm. you know, where where all of the... You know, because we all put on airs, right? Yeah. You know, if we're in business, we're all, nobody's walking into a business meeting where they're trying to close a big deal and they say, you know, I have ED and my wife is losing interest <laughs> right. and my mother thinks I'm a failure and I might be gay. I don't know. I'm having weird feelings at the gym. Like, nobody, we all project this other thing. Yeah. And it's like, and in comedy, you can, you can have that pure honesty where you show, you show humanity warts and all. Yeah. You show the, absurdity of prejudice as well as you know the absurdity of 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 all other things and so if you can't do that if i can't show the absurdity of of racism let's say then racism is allowed to be not considered absurd right and and bad things come from that so i feel like if something offends me or upsets me which is a really really high bar right sure. um but even if it happens I can say, okay, I didn't like that. That didn't feel good for me. Do I want it to exist? Yes, I still want it to exist. Yeah. I want things out there that could offend me to exist because it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, not life, liberty, and uh, zero opportunity for discomfort. Right. Well, that feels like a really good place for us to leave off because this conversation really does evolve in the second half as we start to talk about what makes us uncomfortable about portrayals of Italian-Americans, both from a comedic standpoint and a dramatic standpoint, and some of the kind of psychology of what makes us us. And we're going to talk about portrayals of Italian-Americans, some of the more well-known ones, but also some of the lesser-known ones. I think it's really, really interesting, and the conversation evolves in a very fascinating way. So we hope you guys have enjoyed this first half of our conversation with Brandon Ficarra, and hopefully you'll be back next week right here at the Italian-American Podcast. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you then. See that you're born an Italian. Want your life to be great. See that you're born an Italian.
see that you're born in Italy. 